Amen. It is great to be with you today. And as we worship, we're going to do some other things today as well. We'll celebrate communion just a little bit later in our service. But before we get to that, isn't it a great day to be a Carolina Panther fan? Actually, I was almost expecting some of you guys to show up in jerseys and all kinds of other stuff today, but what a blessing it is to be able to call ourselves fans of the teams that are playing in the Super Bowl. I did see one person here today wearing orange and not like Clemson orange, but rather Denver Bronco orange. I'm not sure what she was thinking, but that's okay. Last summer, the Carolina Panthers came together to begin preparing for this season, and few could have imagined exactly how great this season would be for them. Although they finished last season very well, they actually ended up under 500, which means they lost more games than they won. And then early into their preseason practice this year, they lost their best wide receiver to injury. But to hear the, the players describe it, they still felt like their team had a great chance of doing some great things. They were right, and later today, obviously, they will participate in Super Bowl 50. Well, it's also a great day to be a child of God, as I mentioned at the beginning of our service. And today I want to take a look at a group of guys who had big things in front of them, but they had no idea exactly how big those things would be. I'm obviously talking about the disciples, 12 ordinary men whom Jesus called to go and to become fishers of men, individuals who would leave everything behind for the sake of following him. And there is a part of me that wonders why would they have been so willing to do so? When you think about it, this was not just a, a flippant choice that they made, but rather this was something that would affect them for the rest of their lives. Certainly, when they left home, they knew that there would be a sacrifice for them. They were leaving their livelihoods behind, their jobs. They were leaving their fishing nets, their tax-collecting tables behind. And as they walked away, there had to be a sense of discomfort. They were leaving family behind. They were leaving all of their comforts of home. But all of that sacrifice must have for some reason seemed like it was worth it. I mean, these guys would be mentored by Jesus. This is the, the positive side. They would be mentored by Jesus, one that they probably viewed initially as a great teacher who could do unbelievable things. But they had no idea how good those things could actually be. They had no idea the great things that God would also do in them. I'm going to look at one of those key moments this morning in their journey. To, as we look, it's recorded in Luke chapter 9. So I ask if you would go ahead and turn there. It will be on the screen behind me in a little bit. As you turn there, though, consider a few things. First, I've already mentioned the sacrifices that they would have to endure. But imagine their families when they told them what their plan was. I picture Peter and Andrew's mom. And their, and their dad. They had dreams for their children. As they were growing up, they probably pictured these would be the guys who would carry on the family business. They're going to be successful. They're going to be well-respected members of the community. They're going to raise families close by to home. And as they do so, we're going to be able to play with their grandchildren. We're going to love on them. This is just going to be such a wonderful thing. And then one day, Peter and Andrew come home. Mom, dad, we're giving up the family business. We're going to go follow Jesus around the countryside. 
Well, how are you going to make money? I don't know. We're just going to follow Jesus. What are you going to eat? I don't know. We're going to follow Jesus. What are you going to do for a job? I don't know. We're just going to follow Jesus. Can you imagine the discomfort that must have existed within that family? Can you imagine today if your child came to you and said, well, you know, mom, dad, I know that I had this great plan and I was going to make all this money, but instead, you know, I think I'm just going to go to Haiti and I'm going to work for the next 20 years. There's a part of you that thinks, oh, that's very admirable and that's wonderful, but how are you going to pay for that? And there probably was some discomfort for the family members as these individuals made this choice but also consider the joys associated with the decision to follow Christ. They, see, they were able to see numerous miracles. They have seen broken people who were made whole, and they've discovered a real and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, I love the idea that we too can experience a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, but imagine for a moment to be with him physically for three and a half years, just walking around, spending time with him, interacting, listening to him tell stories, having individuals who were trying to trap him, trying to get him to say things that he shouldn't say, and somehow Jesus always had the answer. Don't you know that had to be an incredible joy and a privilege for them to be able to be with Jesus all the time? This was actually a great experience for them. And as they experienced it, they began to realize he is more than just a good teacher. Remember, I said at the beginning, they probably were in awe of the fact that he spoke with such authority, that he could speak so clearly and everybody embraced it. They loved the fact that he was doing miraculous things all the way back to the wedding at Cana where he took water and he turned it into wine. The point is that they looked at Jesus and they thought, wow. But the more time they spent with him, the more they had to realize he was more than a great teacher who could do some pretty cool things. This was the son of God. They had to be overwhelmed with all of the good that was coming out of their choice to follow him. But it was about to get even better for them. In Luke chapter 9, we see it beginning in verse 1. It says this, when Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He told them, take nothing for the journey. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they set out and went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. And then skipping down to verse 10, when the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. What kind of difference do you want to make with your life? Probably over the years, some of you, have had dreams, and some of those dreams have come true, worked out exactly as you imagined. Probably even more of those dreams have fallen by the wayside. For me, there were two things that I really wanted to do when I was a child. The first was to become a professional football player. Well, it does not take a genius to look at me and see that one did not happen. It was something I really wanted to do, but it probably was not all that realistic. The second one, 
And I know we have some truck drivers here, so don't take this bad. The second one was I wanted to be a truck driver. Looking back, I'm grateful God called me to be a pastor instead. You see, all of us have had dreams somewhere along the way, but the reality is some of those dreams don't work out the way we would expect. I'll tell you one thing that I've always wanted to do that it's irrelevant to whether I became a football player, a truck driver, or a pastor. I wanted to know that my life meant something. I wanted to know that I was able to make a difference in people's lives. Even if it was just in a very small group of people, I wanted to know that my life mattered. Well, I would imagine that the 12 disciples, they too had huge dreams. In their case, it's likely that the longer they hung out with Jesus, the bigger the dreams got. We know that James and John actually asked Jesus if they can sit one on his left side and one on his right in his kingdom. They looked at Jesus as almost a meal ticket for them. One day we're going to be in positions of great authority and power. Their dreams probably continued to grow. We know that they expected Jesus at some point to rise up and probably to overthrow the Roman government. It's likely they wondered at what role they would play in this new government, this new kingdom. It's also likely that they dreamed about being able to do some of the same things they saw Jesus doing. Imagine you saw Jesus raising the dead. Did the thought ever enter your mind? I wonder if God could ever allow me to do that. Or did they think to themselves, well, that's him because he is the Messiah and you can expect him to do it, but uh, I would love to, but I just don't see it happening. Jesus calls these 12 disciples together and he anoints them and he sends them out with the ability to drive out demons, to cure diseases, to preach the gospel and to heal the sick. Imagine how great this moment must have been for these 12 disciples. What kind of miracles did they do? How did the people respond as they went out? Did the crowds flock to them like they did to Jesus when he entered town? Regardless, in many ways, this had to seem like a dream come true for them. They were making a difference. They were being used by God to change the world. The first thing that I'll share today is that I believe today that every person in here has the potential to change the world for Christ, but only when empowered by God to do so. On this occasion, it's a no-brainer. Prior to this sending out, the disciples could have gone to every village and town they wanted, but they had no power to heal the sick. They had no authority or wisdom as they would have preached the gospel. On their own, they would not have been enough. But when they are empowered by God, they can transform the world. They can change the world for Christ. Later, we'll see the same thing as Jesus commands them to stay in Jerusalem after Jesus' death and wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit to come upon them. And on the day of Pentecost, they are filled with the Holy Spirit and they lead the greatest revival movement of all time. Again, it was the anointing or the infilling of the Holy Spirit that would make all of that possible so that they could change the world. Well, nothing has changed in the last 2,000 years. God still desires to change the world through his people. But in order for that to happen, there are a few things that must take place. And we can see it through these disciples. 
First, before the infilling of the Holy Spirit, God's people must be willing. 2 Samuel 23, verse 8 through 12, describes a group of individuals known simply as David's mighty men or David's mighty warriors. These were individuals who loved David and they had chosen to stand alongside him and fight for him no matter what challenges they faced. Listen to their descriptions in 2 Samuel chapter 23, just five verses. These are the names of David's mighty warriors. I'm going to mess up names, just pretend I didn't. Josheb Bashabeth, a Takamanite, was chief of the three. He raised his spear against 800 men whom he killed in one encounter. That's a pretty amazing guy. Next to him was Eliezer, son of Dodai, the Ahohite. As one of the three mighty warriors, he was with David when they taunted the Philistines gathered at Pastamim for battle. Then the Israelites retreated, but Eliezer stood his ground and struck down the Philistines till his hand grew tired and froze to the sword. The Lord brought about a great victory that day, and the troops returned to Eliezer, but only to strip the dead. Next to him was Shema, son of Aji, the Hararite. When the Philistines banded together at a place where there was a field full of lentils, Israel's troops fled from them. But Shema took his stand in the middle of the field. He defended it and struck the Philistines down, and the Lord brought a great victory. These were great individuals who did great things. The passage goes on to talk about more than 30 of these mighty men. And although these three and a few others are mentioned by their names, there are many more who are behind the scenes type individuals. They may not have had such great resumes, but they are vital to David's success. Together, they become a mighty army. But know this, what made all of this possible was the fact that they were willing. They weren't content standing on the sidelines watching as David fought. Instead, they chose to get into the battle to be a part of it. They loved David and they were willing to get in and serve. And of course, it didn't hurt that they were apparently great warriors. That probably helped. Very talented individuals. But all of their skills are useless unless they choose to be willing to do whatever God would call them to do. Likewise, God is looking for willing hearts today. He doesn't invite only those who are already mighty warriors, but rather he invites all of us to be a part of his work. The question is, are we willing to actually be a part of what he wants to do? As I already mentioned, when you respond with a willing heart, God will then equip you for his service. But the second part of this is found in the imperfect nature of these who are willing. These mighty warriors who are partnered with David were rough around the edges. And only when pulled together by David were they able to truly accomplish the greatness that awaited them. Consider the disciples as they began their journey with Christ. They likely would not have been ready for greatness. They needed to grow. They needed to experience Christ in a personal way. And only after they grew could they achieve God's full potential for their lives? I'll apply this in a very simple way today. Please, nobody take offense to this. 
as it is directed to the entire body of Christ. But as the disciples had to grow, it is time for us to grow up. The best way to do this would be for us to take Jesus' two greatest commandments and apply them personally to our lives. First, from a spiritual perspective, truly love God with all your heart. I have this word in the outline today as God desires all in commitment. Far too few of us are pursuing Christ with an all in commitment. Sure, we say we love God, but are we all in? Some of us work so many hours that God has become something that we occasionally squeeze into our lives only when there is nothing else to do. That is not all-in commitment. Some of us come to church on Sunday expecting to be fed spiritually, but then we don't get fed again until next Sunday morning. That is not all-in commitment. If you truly want to experience the blessing, the infilling of the Holy Spirit, it is time for us to choose to be all-in committed to Jesus Christ. From a social perspective, we also need to grow up, though. And that means taking the second commandment of Jesus' two commandments and making it personal. Love your neighbor as yourself. And again, this is where we need that all-in commitment again. (laughs) If you're offended by this, you're probably in good company today because probably most of us need this. While this isn't directed to any one person, I do invite you to make this personal. If you are gossiping in any way, you are not all in on this. If you maintain relationships only when you want something from somebody else, you are not all in on this. If you automatically assume the worst in others, then you are not all in on this. In all of these, we are attempting to maintain walls around ourselves. We let the walls down when we want to, when it's convenient to us. But what we're really doing is we are isolating ourselves from the body of Christ. We are not loving the people around us. But that is exactly what Jesus called us to do. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then to love your neighbor as yourself. It is time to give God our all-in commitment, even when it's not easy. I have one last idea here that is associated with growing up that I would like to share with you. In a spiritual sense and in a social sense. And for this, I want to go back to our disciples again from our passage this morning. Surely they've come a long way since they first heard Jesus say, come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. But the reality is that they still have a long way to go. There are some things that are coming up in front of them. In the days that would follow, they would be pressed so hard by the betrayal that would take place within them. Judas is among the 12 who is anointed to go out and to proclaim the good news and to heal the sick and to cast out demons. Judas, a man who clearly would turn his back on God. 
yet still God chose to bless him. Peter is included in these 12. Peter's the one who on the night that Jesus would be arrested, Peter would declare that he didn't even know this Jesus. Even in the midst of their imperfection, God still chose to work through them. There are some within the body of Christ who would look at this group of 12 and say, well, you know what? I know that I've got all these imperfections. I know that I'm not ready. I know that I'm not good enough. I'll just wait until I am. Let others do it until then. Jesus looks at these 12 imperfect individuals and he says, I want you to go and I want you to be the light. I want you to be the voice. I want you to be my hands and feet. Understand this, this is not an excuse to stay in our carnality. In other words, to remain in our sin. But it's also not an excuse for us to choose not to serve now. The fact that God has high expectations for us is a great thing. But as he has clearly identified his high expectations, he doesn't want to wait until you become a finished product before you decide to serve. You know what would happen? For most of us, we would never get around to serving. We would be on our deathbed and think to ourselves, you know what, now I think I could serve. Well, how much good is that? No offense, but the point is, we ought to be serving now. And that's what God desires of his people. God still called these men, and he equipped them. And he sent them out to accomplish a great work. And I believe today that God desires to do the same thing with us. What does that look like? There are actually several things that are ahead for this church in particular. And I am asking you to be a part of it as a part of this church. Number one, I want you to know that no matter what we do, the mission of this church will not change. We are still called to go out and to make disciples who will make a difference. We are still called to lift up the name of Jesus Christ, to introduce them to his goodness and his grace. That will never change. It ought to never change. There may be different ways that we do ministry, but that ought to never change. As we do ministry, I have mentioned there are some things that are on the horizon. We have an alternative service that will begin, that will be beginning here at Trinity Wesleyan Church this summer. Actually, someone asked me this morning for some of the details. You actually get it this morning in service. We're actually looking to start. We're going to have a soft launch that will take place in July. It will take place the third Sunday in July. And as a part of that, our goal is simply to work out some of the kinks, to make sure that we have everything in place. Now, there's a reason for that. And that's because in the first Sunday in August, that just happens to be the first Sunday that all the students come back. Clemson, Southern Wesleyan University, and Tri-County Tech all start the same week this year. It's very unusual, but we're going to take advantage of it. And we would like to do a hard launch that week. It will take place out in our Family Life Center. Our goal is to be able to reach people that we are not already reaching in this service. The music will be a little bit different from what we would do in this service. It will not be over the edge. I've been to some services where I thought to myself, Man, this is overwhelming. I will tell you, there was a song we did this morning I had never heard before. It was the hymn. And some of you guys are thinking, I don't know any of these new songs. I didn't know that song. 
But you know what? I was able to worship in that song because I understand that it's not about me knowing every word of the song. It is me celebrating the Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe that that's what will happen in our, in our alternative service. The second aspect of things that are coming, I believe that God has opened up a door for us to be able to do some things with recovery type of ministries. You guys know that in my past where I worked up in Pennsylvania, the church there, we had a ministry, it was called Second Chance. I'm not looking to bring everything that we did down there, but one of the things we did was we worked with individuals who were coming out of addiction. Specifically, drug and alcohol abuse were the biggest things, but we also worked with individuals who had struggled with addictions to alcohol, to pornography, to gambling, to all kinds of things that, that worked uh, into de destroying people's lives. I have been contacted by one of the organizations that we worked with, and they have asked that our church consider partnering with one of the individuals who is in their Christian rehabilitation facility right now. His name is John. And on April 3rd, I will be going to Brunswick, New Jersey, where, or Whiting, New Jersey, where I will be at his graduation. And then he is going to come and he will become a part of our church for the next eight months where he will need to be mentored and he will be loved on by the church. He will be discipled throughout that entire time period. He is required to get involved in the ministry of the church and it becomes an opportunity for him to transition back into normal life. I will tell you that by the time he comes to us, he will have been clean from drugs and alcohol for over eight months, and we have the opportunity to help him continue in that journey. I am inviting you as a church to be a part of that. I understand that the greatest responsibility on that will be on me. I'll be the one who spends the time discipling him over that next eight-month period of time. I'll be the one who helps him get to different places, but I will tell you also, I want you to be a part of it. I want him to realize that he is not one of those guys when he walks into the church. I don't want people looking and saying, well, he, he's kind of our, our addict that we're helping. I want him to be a part of our family. I want him to be someone who is experiencing Jesus Christ in a personal way. And it is up to us to make that happen. So I invite you to be a part of that. The last thing that I will point out as we move forward is I believe God has also called the church to begin to work together with other churches in our community. Something that we rarely do. I don't know if we feel offended by them or threatened or whatever else, but often what we do is we separate ourselves on islands. This is our church and we're going to do our thing and the people down the road, they can do their thing. Give you an example of this. I love a good Easter egg hunt. I love being able to watch my kids participate in an Easter egg hunt. We could try to put one on or we could actually partner with other churches in the community that are doing something like this. I will tell you that there is another church we have already partnered with for this coming Easter egg hunt this year. A live Wesleyan church had about, I think, 600 people that came to their egg hunt last year. It's a great experience. I went, my kids loved it. They had a blast. We could try to compete with them and we could try to do our own thing or we could say, you know what? Instead of competing with them, drawing the same people that they're reaching, trying to draw them away, why don't we work together with them so that we can actually make them more effective? When we contacted them, they almost didn't know what to think. In fact, it was silence on the other end of the phone. 
Because the reality is, it is very rare that churches choose to work together. But if this will enable us to reach people in this community for Christ, who cares who gets the credit for it? In fact, I found it really humorous. We made it clear to them, we don't even want you to put our name on your sign. We don't want people to know that we were involved. They refused. (laughs) They wanted us to receive the credit. The reality is the church is not limited to what happens on this corner. But rather the church is the body of Christ all over. Any place where Jesus Christ is lifted up, where we are pointing people to him and we are calling people to a biblical model of Christianity, that is what we need to be involved with. And if that means partnering with other churches, we need to partner with other churches. For the Easter egg hunt, I need your help. I've already spoken for you, so now I need your help. We have about, is it 12,000 Easter eggs that we need to fill with candy? We're all going to lose our teeth by the time this is done. But I want to ask you to be a part of that. They're pretty particular about the type of candy that you give because if you use chocolate candy, it melts and we don't want that. It's kind of disappointing when a kid opens that up. But the point is, we want you to be a part of that. If you can't, I'll fill every one of them if I need to because I believe this is something that a church ought to be doing. But I would much rather have you guys as a part of this. What this church looks like today may be different from what it looks like A year down the road, two years down the road, five years down the road. But I believe that we must press on and continue to move forward to be more like Christ. I think we've been that way for a long time, but I think it's time for us to become more like Christ. If you would bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Father, as we come before you today, Lord, we know that you have called us to do great things. You have called us to be a part of your work. And Lord... The kingdom work that we do is much bigger than ourselves. Lord, I pray that you would give us willing hearts like these disciples who were called to go and they went. They left everything behind for the sake of following you. Help us to be so willing that we too would be willing to go no matter what you asked us to do. Lord, I pray that you would help us also grow up. Help us to experience more of you from a spiritual standpoint than we ever have before. Lord, give us a hunger to know you, to interact with you, to have a personal relationship with you. Would help us to love you as if there was nothing else in the world that mattered. But I also pray that you'd help us to grow up socially that we might be individuals who truly do model what it is to be one in the body of Christ. Help us to love people, not with judging eyes that sometimes penetrate our hearts. Help us to love people where we no longer gossip or complain. Instead of getting angry, help us to realize that you, are the one who created them in your image. Lord, I pray today that you would help us to be the people you called us to be. Regardless of where we are, Lord, as we seek you, 
I pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit and that you would empower us to go and to truly change this world. Maybe it starts with changing this church, the people who are here, but help us to change the world around us. Fill us today and use us in whatever way you see fit. In Christ's name we pray, amen. At this time, we're going to participate in a celebration of the Lord's Supper. And as we do so, I've asked several ministers who are going to help me, uh, individuals who they they have uh, just been uh, godly examples to me for many years, and many of them are individuals that you guys know and love very, very well. As we do this this morning, I want you to know that this is a celebration of what Christ has already done. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. He allowed his body to be broken and his blood to be shed so that our sins could be forgiven, so that we would have the opportunity, the promise of eternal life. Jesus took two common ordinary elements the last night he was with his disciples. And he said, every time you eat this, every time you drink this, I want you to be reminded of what took place. He said, the bread, this represents... My body that is broken for you. Don't just do this when we have this communion service. But consider every single time that you eat this bread. It ought to remind you of the body of Christ that is broken for you. So that means when you get ready to eat lunch today. And you look down at the bread. I want you to remember the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. His body was broken for you. What does that mean to you? Is it just something that happened 2,000 years ago and it carries no weight? Or is it something that changes your eternal destination? Is it something that gives you a hope for today? That your life can be changed not just after you die, but now? He also took wine. In our case, grape juice. In fact, they won't even let me use cran grape juice. A common ordinary drink. Something that they used at every meal. Again, not just in a communion service. And he said, every time you drink this, I want you to be reminded of my blood that was shed for you. Because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Do you know what the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ means? It means we have hope. We can have a peace and forgiveness that nobody else can offer. Today, as we celebrate, even if you're not a part of Trinity Wesleyan Church where you're here every week, If you know the grace of Jesus Christ, I want you to participate with us this morning. I'm going to pray, and as I do, the individuals who are helping serve are going to come forward, and they're going to set up. There'll be a couple over here, a couple here in the middle, and a couple off to the side. But as we come today, I'm going to ask that you would simply allow God to remind you of what his sacrifice truly means. I'm going to ask everyone to take the elements with you, the bread and the grape juice. Take it back to your seats, and once everyone has received it, we'll partake together. But while you're sitting there waiting, allow that to be a time to pray and ask God, what does this truly mean to me?
Let's pray. Father, as we come before you, Lord, we do thank you for the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, broken and shed for us. I pray today that as we partake in this celebration of your sacrifice, that it would truly be a reminder of how good you have been to us. Lord, may you be honored in our lives, not just now because we're participating in this communion celebration, but every moment of our lives, help us to be aware of what this truly means. For we are to be different. We have been redeemed. Help us to appreciate that today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask those who are serving if you would come and we'll have two over here on this side and then two on the other side and two in the middle.
unable to come forward but would like to be served communion this morning. Father, as we come before you, as we receive these elements this morning, I pray that you will be honored. We know that these are just ordinary things that we eat at every meal and drink at every meal. There's nothing special about them in particular except that they represent the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, for us. Thank you for what this sacrifice means. You allowed your body to be broken and your blood to be shed so that our sins could be forgiven. So they would never be held against us again, but rather we can come boldly into the presence of our God. Lord, I pray today that you would help us to truly appreciate what that means. In Christ's name we pray, amen. As Jesus met with his disciples, he took the bread. He said, this represents my body that is broken for you. Every time you eat this, do it in remembrance of me. Then he took the wine and he said, this represents my blood that is shed. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission, no forgiveness of sins. He said, every time you drink this, do it in remembrance of me. Father, again, we thank you. May you be honored as we live. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for being with us this morning. Go in peace. If you would leave your cups in the pews, we'll take care of them afterwards.